Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. This is part one of our conversation with Igor Duke. Igor is the founder and CEO of Native Union, a consumer electronics accessories company that combines the finest handpicked materials, thoughtful design, and considerate details to create products with personality empowering the modern lifestyle. In this episode, we caught up with Igor to learn more about why he chose to base his business in Hong Kong, the impetus behind Native Union, and his goal to enhance the way we live with technology. We also explore the consciousness of consumers today, how it has developed over the years, brand legitimacy, and more. Enjoy. Every company has a DNA and you have companies that are excellent at marketing. They make people dream, but then they don't put as much resources on the, on the product itself. Our DNA is product. We are product people. We love products. On that sense, Hong Kong is magical because we are one hour to two hours from where the product is, is made. You, you see the components coming. You understand. You see those big machines. You see the whole process. It's magic happening. And I think it gave us as well a very big competitive advantage because we are controlling and we infuse the whole people in the company on how products are made, how to make a good product. And that helped us a lot, I think, in our quest to bring uh, quality craftsmanship uh, into what we do today. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Igor, welcome to the show. Todd, thank you very much for having me today. Pleasure. Let's put you on the map. Let people know where in the world are you recording from and have, for those watching on video, that beautiful green background. I'm in Hong Kong, uh, where I live since uh, the past uh, 16 years now. And I like usually to spend my Christmas in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong... As we speak now. Yeah, I don't blame you because as I'm recording on the West Coast of North America, uh, it is really cold. We have uh, an incredible uh, cold front that came down through uh, Siberia and came over to our way. So so all of us on the West Coast right now, uh, those of you listening in January, as I'm sure you will be, uh, will remember back to that week before Christmas and remember how cold it is. Uh, so I'm very jealous of what the weather looks like outside your window that you are enjoying today in Hong Kong. Uh, but I digress. Igor, please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. So I'm Igor. Uh, I'm 41 years old, uh, three kids, all uh, made and bought in Hong Kong. Uh, and I, I could qualify myself uh, as, a, as a creative person, but without uh, creative talent, uh, unfortunately. So since uh, I started my professional career, I've always tried to surround myself with uh, talented, creative people. 
Um, so I'll tell you more about that. I'm the I'm the co-founder of uh, of Native Union and CEO, as you as you said. Uh, it's a lifestyle brand, Native Union, with a focus on tech accessories, but not only. Uh, basically, what we do is we, we uncover good ideas and we turn them into desirable and durable products. Um, obviously, I have French roots, which are very difficult to hide. Uh, and I started Native Union um, 13 years ago here in Hong Kong. I would like to go back first and foremost, and we're going to get into, into Native Union for sure. But how did you end up? going from, uh, was it Paris, uh, I believe, um, traveling and, and how, how did you end up in Hong Kong? How did you end up in Asia in the first place? That's a series of, uh, life, uh, ricochet. Do you say that in English as well? Yes. Yeah. 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 Ricochet. Yeah, so yeah. It's, really, it's really a re- ricochet. Uh, I, if you want the, the full understanding, I wanted to go to San Diego for university exchange but I failed. Okay. But I've been proposed to go to Singapore, which I took without much enthusiasm at that time. And, uh, I loved Singapore, uh, spent almost a year there in university exchange, went all across the region, obviously, uh, enjoying the cheap, uh, weekend flights. And, uh, from there I came back to France to finish my uh, business school. I learned Indonesian, in uh, France because I really loved um, what I've been exposed to uh, when I was in Bali. So then after my school, I went back to Bali and I started to do some uh, stone trading between Bali and uh, France. Uh, Then I decided when I was in Paris uh, to remain in this creative interior design world that I really enjoy and to create a furniture brand. Okay. And the idea was... 23, 24 years old, probably we were all having uh, not much money. So the same Ikea design interior, uh, all dreaming about beautiful Italian furniture, but obviously couldn't afford it. So the concept was to buy great design from graduation um, uh, exams of design schools. You know, when you graduate from design school, you do a last year end project for your graduation. Mm-hmm. Spend a lot mm-hmm. of time, high quality design, but usually those projects are just uh, conceptual and never really uh, become products. So we were contacting, yeah. there's a lot of good, good design school in, in, in France. So contacting those uh, young graduated guys say, show us your portfolio. We're going to edit that. So I was editing young French designer and the other side so that's the good design side and the affordable price side was Asia. So we had to manufacture in Asia in order to make this mix possible. So I happened to move to Beijing first to try to find some factories. No, I started with some Indonesia, a bit of Thailand that was not at all the right uh, supply chain. So ended up in Beijing, ended up in North China, uh, Harbin, Chichiar close to the forests uh, where there is a lot of um, oak tree. Uh, started this business, uh, went back to BC to France, opened some stores, had a lot of 
manufacturing problem, obviously, between what we hope we would get and the reality. So went back to uh, China, then understood that the um, expertise in wood carving in China was really in the, in the Guangdong province, uh, woodworking, wood carving. So ended up around Guangzhou. <laughs> started to work with new suppliers, con continue my path to, uh, to try to manufacture a great product, which was not easy. And during this um, Guangzhou trip, happened to spend a weekend in Hong Kong to see some friends. And there I fell in love, uh, I fell in love, sorry, uh, with, uh, not with someone, but with Hong Kong, really with this city. Uh, I don't know, you've been to Hong Kong. Did you have you been there during one of those crazy weekends where you spend three days and you enjoy the seaside? You go on boats, you 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 trail. I mean, everything that most of the people don't know about Hong Kong. You don't know that Hong Kong can offer probably even more outdoor experience than the the very interesting uh, and vibrant uh, city center. So anyway, loved Hong Kong uh, so much that I decided to craft a life project around relocating here. And because uh, all my suppliers were anyway quite close to Hong Kong, it, it was logical. So arrived in Hong Kong 16 years ago um, to take care of the production part of this uh, furniture company that I set up. That, that's the ricochet. That's the last ricochet. Yeah. And I, I mean, you... You definitely dipped into what my next question was going to be. Uh, you also, uh, funny enough, kind of almost dipped into my marriage a bit. Um, I, I actually was engaged in Harbin uh, to my wife. Uh, we were there on a, on New Year's Eve, celebrating on a trip up there, and that's that's when I asked her to marry me. Uh, we were married in Bali. Uh, so that was another touch point. So you were kind of bouncing around a little bit there. Um, also spent a lot of time in Beijing as well, but, uh, yes. And then for those who maybe don't quite know the geography of, of China, uh, that Guangdong region is, is kind of, you know, Shenzhen at the South and Guangzhou more at the, than maybe the Northwest of that. Um, I think if I'm getting it right. Um, and that, that is like a manufacturing Mecca, you know, that's, that's why you see all the, the, you know, these hardware accelerators from around the world. We've, we've talked to, to Brink, we've talked about hacks, uh, you know, from the tech side of things, it's just the manufacturing region, um, which is why there's a lot there. Um, and, and what I wanted to ask you next was really talking about, why based out of Hong Kong and greater China, why did it make so much sense for you to base your company out of Hong Kong, greater China? I think you covered a lot of that, but I'll propose it to you. If there was anything else inside that question that you may want to talk about why that area, why be based out of Hong Kong? I know you fell in love with Hong Kong, but why does it also make such business sense for you to be based there? No, no, it's important to, to, to clarify because we could have, I could have gone back to France and managed my company, um, like, like most of the brands, huh, with a buying office or, uh, partnering with some manufacturing partners, uh, here in Asia. But, um, and, and by the way, when we set up Native Union as well, we, we'll get to Native Union. It, it, it was the same. It's very unconventional to create a brand in Hong Kong. I don't think you can name 
actually any brand that you know that is born in Hong Kong. Usually Hong Kong is seen as the 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 the, the production uh, or the or the or the back office or the buying office, but the HQ are located elsewhere. But that tells a lot, I think, about Nelly Vignon and about who we are. We've decided really to be close to the manufacturing. We've decided to become experts at that part of the business. I think every, every company has, has a DNA and uh, and you have companies that are excellent at marketing and they do beautiful, they make people dream, but then they don't put as much resources on the, on the product itself. Company who are um, excel at finance company and, and our DNA is product. We are product people. We love products. And on that sense, Hong Kong is magical because we are one hour to two hours from where the product is, is made and, and seeing a, a factory. I don't know if you've been in factories, but for me, it's a, it, and it's still after, after that, that much time in this industry, it's marvelous. You, you see the components coming, you understand, you see those big machines, you see the whole process. It's magic happening. It's the, the, the chocolate factory at, uh, at scale, scale one. So yes, it made business sense a lot. Uh, and I think it gave us as well a very big competitive advantage uh, because we are controlling and we infuse the whole people in the company on how products are made, how to make a good product. And that helps us a lot, I think, in our quest uh, to bring uh, quality craftsmanship uh, into what we do today. Yeah, I resonate with that hypothesis greatly. When uh, a lot of guests know my background, I was in venture capital with SOSV and we were running um, an accelerator, software accelerator out of Dalian. And we thought that it might be a good idea to try getting into hardware. Um, and, and we had Kickstarter in Indiegogo to try to help companies that wanted to get into hardware and start building uh, Raspberry Pi and Arduino and some technologies like this. We're really helping entrepreneurs play around with a lot of IoT and things like that. What we figured out really quickly was you can teach a lot of things, but you have to be close, physically close to manufacturing. So we could have built that accelerator for startups that were doing hardware anywhere in the world, really, because everything is digital. But we ran it out of Shenzhen. Uh, because being near and close and understanding and being paying close attention to your factories, to your production was really what you needed to nail and understand if you were going to actually, you know, like, like Pinocchio and become a real boy, if you were going to become a real business globally, um, that was the one thing that we felt was probably one of the hardest things um, that people were going to have struggle with. So located it there. So yes, uh, I completely understand and agree with, with that premise. Um, now, we've kind of, tell us about Native Union. We have, we, we've, we've been all around this. We haven't actually got right into Native Union. So please tell us all about what is Native Union. So uh, first of all, I think the way we, Native Union has been created is again a, quite unconventional. And, um, and to tell you again the, the, the true story um, and not the marketing story, <laughs> uh, it happened like a a happy incident. I would call it a happy incident. And the real vision about the brand came up after that. So I'll just briefly get to the, the incident and then I, I'll tell you a bit more about what we do today. But I was in Hong Kong uh, developing my furniture business. 
Okay. And I was, uh, at that time, uh, there was no co-working space, but I was renting a desk, sub-renting a desk in a bigger office that uh, one of my friends uh, was renting. So it was uh, the ancestor of the co-working space. And, uh, and I happened for uh, one weekend, I went to the, the flea market in Hong Kong and, and purchased those, this old uh, uh, retro phone, Chinese phone. And you know, that was the time of the uh, Blackberries, uh, iPhone 1, where most of the smartphones had the 3.5 jack uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the headphone jack. Exactly, the headphone jack. The headphone. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I, I, I happened just at the weekend to play with uh, to to cut the big retro handsets, uh, fit uh, headphone uh, jack into it, solder the microphone and the and the speaker uh, track, and test it, and it was working. And I get back to the office and I brought that. It was quite fun. I don't know if you if you remember because we actually launched the, the product. It was a big retro handset that you plug into your smartphone at that time. And, um, and my, my uh, neighbor, uh, who happened to become my co-founder after, actually took it, plug it, and say, hey, th- that's great. I have a BlackBerry, but you know what? First, it's very uncomfortable. It's flat. And then I have all my contact, all my calendar on it, so I cannot have the smartness of my smartphone here. Uh, I need it here. So then I need to say, wait. So anyway, no landline at that time already. We, to cut a long story short, uh, after a few people saw it and say, oh, I'd lo- do, do you see which product I'm talking about? Uh, or, or, or you don't have anything in mind? Because I'll show you a, a picture now. <laughs> I, I believe I do, but I, I think I'll still take the picture uh, to, to help out. But yeah, it's almost like foam headphone over ear. No, 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 no. It was a handset, a retro handset. I don't know if you see this big retro set, Yeah, like the big brick. Retro one. Oh, That's your oh, 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 oh. So like, okay, so for those of you listening, um, audio only, it's it's a rotary phone with the with the coil co- uh, cord, the corded phones with kind of like the, the round mouthpiece at the bottom and the handle and then the round earpiece at the top that were identical, really. And uh, yeah, you held it up to your to your head, like the, the like the old school type of rotary phones that we used to use. Exactly. So when you look at that picture, it sounds like completely crazy, a bit stupid, very funny. But but what happened is the more people around me were. So I, I was buying old phone, I was soldering. I did maybe ten for the people around, and they all told me, but. But that's great because it's so much more comfortable. We don't use landline anymore, but we have the comfort of the landline with the modern uh, smartphone. So with this, I was still again in my furniture business. We've decided to open toolings uh, in China. So I, I had obviously a network of designers. We redesigned the handset, opened a tooling. We did, uh, I don't know, uh, 2,000 pieces, maybe a small production. Uh, and we went to CES. Uh, 14 years ago with the bag, we took a room there and uh, we asked a few, few people price to come and um, it went absolutely crazy. Basically, uh, we, every people that saw this product had their heartbeat accelerating. There was an emotional thing with this product. And uh, remember that we went to CES, so Consumer Electronic Show in Las Vegas. In Vegas. This is a world of technology, uh, but this is a world of utilitarian technology, kind of boring technology. We come up with something fun, colorful, never seen. Um, and so the, 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 all the buyers started to, 
actually say, yeah, you know what, we're going to test. That's fun. They don't even talk about price. We're going to take, we take 100 pieces, 500 pieces. What happened then was, uh, was uh, I think, something unique uh, that uh, not happened don't happen a lot in a lifetime. We we sold everywhere in the world. We sold basically 2.6 million pieces of them in less than three years. So all the department store, cool department store started to to uh, want this product because it was bringing again life and something new to their assortment and for their customers. Uh, so we started in the life, lifestyle channels, department store, cool design stores, concept store, Capoc that I know since the beginning took them um, uh, probably again uh, 13 years ago uh, w- when we launched them. And so we had, uh, we had, uh, we never paid for any press, but we had a lot of uh, celebrities uh, being shot, like Lady Kravitz in New York on the front page of the uh, People's Magazine. We had a lot of, it, it was insane. We, we could not make enough. We uh, opened probably 10 toolings to try to cope with demand. But remember that we still had our, our furniture business. John, my kind of business partner, was running an outdoor furniture. I was running my uh, my furniture business, and, and and that started to take a lot of time. And it was what to do. I mean, it, it was supposed to be a half side business slash joke. Okay, we're going to try, but and uh, and it took off. Uh, I'm going to lend to Native Union, but th- this was already Native Union because we we uh, created this brand Native Union, which was the the, the union between the old world the, of the retro handset and. So native communication, old world, and the new smartphone. And um, and, and this single product brought us to, um, we did uh, uh, 300,000 US the first year, uh, 3 million the second year, and 15 million the third year. Just to give you the the scale, the stratospheric um, vertical lending that that, that was really uh, um, propelling the, the company. And from that, what happened is when you're highly successful with a product, often you become a target for counterfeit. Okay. So after two years and a half to three years of really big success, uh, we've been highly counterfeit. When I say counterfeit, I'm not talking about product that were looking like ours. Those were existing since the beginning. I'm talking about product that were um having the Native Union logo on it, okay, called Moshi Moshi, the real counterfeit. And when you are crossing the, the border between Hong Kong and, and Shenzhen, you know, where you have all those small shops, you could find basically uh, luxury bags counterfeit, Beats headphone, and Native Union handset. The company almost uh, died at that time because suddenly uh, a lot of confusion in the, in, the, in the buyer's head, why I have this, and, and the problem is, Although we take, we took a lot of time at that time to fine tune the acoustic to really make a good product, uh, we already had this um, DNA of uh, making sure the details were nice. Uh, the product was 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 a high quality product, but visually their product was the same. No one knew what was inside. So we almost died, uh, and we took the time uh, to think, which normally. Uh, normal company, they do the business, their business plan before launching. But because again, we never launch, we happen to have this stratospheric growth without putting any thought behind it. So we thought, okay, what are we doing here? We have the best retailer in the world buying our product. We can feel, I think it was the iPhone uh, 
it was probably 2011 or 12, iPhone 5, which was beautifully uh, aluminium uh, uh, crafted again, a headset, more expensive. So we could feel basically that the smartphone was becoming the center point of our life and it will be in the future. Uh, and we were in this between tech and lifestyle and we thought, okay, we're going to come up with a brand really. So that's where the, 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 the real brand foundation came up. We're going to create a brand to elevate the whole ecosystem of accessories around the smartphone. iPhone and Apple are doing high quality, amazing smartphone, but all the accessories around are shit. So we're going to be the brand to apply Uh, quality design, quality material, and uh, elevated experience to this world. And this is really, so in 2012, when we we did all the work of, uh, okay, internalize the, the design studio, we're going to go into a few categories only. The, a brand, we wanted to become a brand basically when before we, we just did few products that happened to be successful. And this is what we keep doing now after, after 13 years. We apply it, obviously, to, to, to more categories, but uh, that's what we do. We do uh, daily essential accessories, okay? So lifestyle accessories around our technologies, so around mostly our laptop and our smartphone. Uh, but we execute them uh, like a, a fashion brand or an interior design brand would do with a lot of attention to make sure the, the experience is really delightful and not only... Uh, efficient and utilitarian. I, I wanted to, to, to briefly ask, would a brand owner today entering the markets in Asia, in APAC, would they have to worry as much about trademark or copyright infringement the way that we saw it 10, 15 years ago? It's a good question. For some reason, I would say less, but it's only uh, really a feeling. I'm trying to think why I would tell you that I feel there is less copy, less risk of infringement, less race to copy the latest cool product. I feel like, in my opinion, just over the last 15 years, I feel like Asia has just grown up. They've matured. They are becoming more sophistication sophisticated in some ways i think they're carrying themselves with a little more class and they i think are starting to understand that that is bad form and uh yes and i, I also would say that there are some some legal rumblings although still quite difficult to execute but i still i, I think that they might be Uh, coming into their own and realizing, um, and, and I, I think there's some legal ramifications that might be involved there as well. That's my feeling. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're probably right on that end. And I would add that the consumer as well has evolved. And mm. because people mm. were aware mm. that they were not buying the genuine product. And now I think it, there is much more responsibility. People don't want to buy something crap that's going to just last few few weeks or few months and, and just uh, trash it after. So I think the buy less, but buy better as well. And, and the, the consciousness of the consumer has evolved in the positive way. So yeah. less demand for crap copycats means less interesting as well for uh, China suppliers. And the combination yeah. of the two is probably why we feel this problem is, is uh, probably uh, um, less than what it was a few years ago. It's interesting because we're talking about legitimacy of the brand, not for 
others to recognize on us, in us, uh, that we use. Uh, but actually, they start to care for themselves about having legitimate brands and products of those brands. Um, that's something that they actually are desiring it. You know, in in the past, it was wanting to be seen with that brand. Now it's it's almost an internal um, argument that they have now that they want to know that they have a that legitimate brand, that legitimate product. Yes, uh, th- that's uh, still an education, I think, that has to be done. Uh, but it's going in the right direction. When I say an education, I'm going to specifically mention our product categories because tech accessories come from a utilitarian standpoint. A cable normally is made to connect two devices. That's it. You, you, you're probably not going to feel like you need to buy a, a superior or beautiful cable. However, I'm really fighting for that with passion because I think people should think about um, spending on what they use intensively every day. That's the smart thing to do. Not buy something expensive that you're going to put on your cabinet and not use, but for what, you know, it's the theory of the mattress. You should buy an amazing and very expensive mattress because you spend a third of your life on it. So it's the best investment. After your mattress, you should buy good tech and good accessories around. You know, the the, the number um, now of time you touch your smartphone per day, on average, is 2,500. You're going to touch your cable. You're going to use your cable. You're going to have it on you every day. So not only it will start to become also part of who you are, a status product. You arrive in a, in a, in a, in a Starbucks coffee. You need to charge. You pull out your cable. Will you have a crap white OEM cable or will you have a beautifully braided craft cable with a leather belt? It tells a lot about who you are. So first of all, those products that used to be utilitarian become daily essential, so become status product. And secondly, people start to understand, I feel, it, it's slow, but that it's much better to buy, I'm going to remain on the cable example, it's much better to buy a premium cable, maybe 30%, 40% more expensive than the cheap mass one, but that's going to last you five years instead of buying five cable every year. It's a much better deal. And, uh, and I, I feel this is, this is happening. We've been fighting for that since 10 years. It was difficult. A lot of people told us, you're crazy guys. You f- who will pay $40 for a cable? Or, and, and I was very vocal saying, guys, it's the best investment. <laughs> and, and I feel like the mentalities now uh, start to understand what we try to do since the past uh, 10 years. So I'm optimistic. I'm with you. I'm also one of those consumers um, with kids that have... I mean, I don't know, four or five devices. I mean, between tablets and phones and the switch and the, you know, just the, 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 the headphones and, and, uh, the charging cables. And it's just, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I preach it to the choir real quick. I, I was going to say, like, what is your percentage of revenue from Asia versus outside of Asia or rest of world? Um, and I guess basically what I'm asking is, uh, where are you, where are you selling? Where's your geography of, of, uh, operation? Uh, mostly in the U S uh, more than 50%. The second biggest, uh, market is Europe and then Asia is 12 to 15% of our sales, but it's, it's more related really to, uh, distribution coverage rather than, um, consumers. 
uh, we do have specifically in Japan, in Korea, uh, so some people that are very loyal and love the brand and quite a lot of customers, but those people buy online because for some structural reasons, uh, you don't really have the retail coverage in those countries, the high quality retail coverage for tech, for tech accessories. Uh, in, in, in Europe, you have, in the US, you have some, some big retailers that can carry high quality. In those countries, uh, it's more the small stores. So that explains, uh, in terms of quantity, why uh, we are not that strong in volumes in Asia. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.